Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. Very much looking forward to talking to the gentleman who's going to join me in a moment. He's won 44 times around the world. He has ascended to world number one where he stayed for 22 weeks. And a lot of people were probably shocked that at Whistling Straits, he was not a vice captain for the European team. He was on the side for the 11th time. I'm talking about Lee Westwood. I believe that Lee is a guy who is going to one day be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. No, he has not won a major championship. We've seen precedents uh, as far as players getting in absent of a major championship. Jumbo Ozaki got in. Colin Montgomery has gotten in. I think Lee is going to find his way into the World Golf Hall of Fame. But more importantly, he is a great talker, and he's a thoughtful guy. And I, I really expect his voice. I think he is somebody who's probably going to do television down the road when he chooses to. But He's approaching 49 years of age, and he's still highly competitive. He won in Abu Dhabi to begin the year last year. So Lee Westwood is our conversation this week. I promise you're going to enjoy it. With that, we bring in the 44-time winner globally, Lee Westwood. Lee, how you doing, buddy? Very good, Gary. You? I'm, I'm doing very well. You know, you had a, a good weekend. You actually, you know, you played well the last day, but I'm not talking about the golf. Your 49ers advanced to the NFC Championship game. Uh, Nottingham Forest had a good weekend. I want to ask you, where's your 49er fandom? Where did that originate? Um, I think... Watching uh, watching NFL in the 80s in England, you know, we didn't get too many games and uh, it was always on Channel 4 and, you know, the 49ers were pretty much the best team back then. And, uh, um, you know, watching Montana and Rice just stemmed from there. Yeah, they, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I, I was going to ask you about this idea of age, um, and, and rarely can I talk to guys who, who play at the level you do uh, that can talk about Montana and Rice. Uh, these, these, all these, <laughs> <laughs> these guys want to talk about Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it, have you been to a 49er game in Santa Cruz? No, never. Okay. No, no. I've got to go to one at some point. Yeah, it's on my bucket list. You went to a uh, – when you guys were in Vegas, I it might have been a, around your wedding. Didn't you go to a, a Golden Knights game in Vegas? Yeah, yeah, we did. We went to to a Golden Knights game back in June, just before we got got married. So the day before we got married. So uh, yeah, that was a great experience. Incredible atmosphere. I must I must just say that my wife Helen is a, a Rams fan, believe it or not. Oh, you're kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> what are the origins of that? Just to, once again, you know, from years ago watching, I think she likes the pattern on the helmets. Okay. <laughs> uh, I want to I wanna ask you about, about your dad to start with. Your dad was a teacher, right? Math teacher? Yeah. Math, math teacher, yeah. Were you a good student? Well, I got an A. Uh, whether that means I'm a good, whether that means I'm a good student or not, is another thing. I think I've been, I think I, I did the bare minimum. Gotcha. 
Did your um, so. I, you know, your 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 time with your father as a kid? You know, you played cricket, you played football, uh, you were an athlete, you liked all sports. Uh, did did your father encourage that as somebody who was on the academic side? Was he all for you being an athlete? Yeah, very much so. You know, he got me to try everything. Um, you know, I played a lot of football, uh, with soccer as you call it, and rugby, cricket. I was a good runner. Um, and I only took golf up at the age of 13, um, just purely by chance, really. My, my grandparents had bought me a set of golf clubs. And uh, uh, one summer holiday, my dad, he got sick of me throwing stones in where he was fishing because he's a big fisherman. And uh, uh, he, he said, let's go and have a game of golf. And it, and it really went from there. Um, you know, I went round in about 180, first time I played. But I hit a couple of good shots. And he said, you want lessons? Took me for lessons to... Um, a local professional who was very good at teaching juniors. And, uh, you know, six years later, I was playing on tour. Do you think, and I, I, I've had this conversation with John McEnroe because he runs a tennis academy, and I had a very good friend who, whose son was, was an elite junior tennis player, but he was also a very good athlete and played other sports. And his father uh, said to John, and I later asked John about this, he, he asked him, should my son just focus on tennis? He said, no, no, no. I want him to play all sports. I want him to be athletic. I'm going to want him to think like an athlete. Um, do you think that that's a beneficial thing yourself? Very much so. Uh, you know, I totally agree. And um, maybe not quite as much with tennis, but certainly with golf, you're doing the same movement over and over again, which can't be good if you're a, you know, a young child whose body's just developing. So I think I was fortunate that I played all sports and, you know, got into pretty good shape, you know, did a lot of swimming, a lot of running, and uh, I had a good foundation uh, to then build upon with a golf swing where it's, you know, just one action all the time. You know, you stand in a mirror and look at yourself and your body's all uneven once you play golf for a lot of years. And, uh, you know, if that starts happening when you're, a, you know, you're a four or five-year-old kid, you know, if you, your parents are taking you on the range and you, you're ingrained in that, then, you, you know, it won't be long, you know, as the body's developing that you'll get, back issues and hip and shoulder issues and things like that if you haven't got that solid base. So, yes, definitely. Um, I'm all for kids trying everything. Did you um, did you have a singular moment or was it a series of, of things that happened in your young adult life that, that convinced you that you were good enough to do this for a living? I think the light bulb moment was probably getting picked for the England boys team. Um, I'd, I'd won the county championship and I'd started contending in national tournaments. But when I got picked for the England boys team, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm one of the 12 best players in the country. And, uh, you know, there's a, probably a future for me in the game of golf. Um, I wasn't sure about what level, um, you know, I would, I would, you know, if, if I, I, I would try to stay in golf or sports if I, you know, I hadn't got to the, to the elite level. So, uh, you know, I just like being around, being around sports really and sporting people. What uh, what incarnation is this for you? Is this I, I think it's beyond 2.0 uh, because you you got to the top ten, then you had a lull, then you got to world number one, um, and and then I thought you know I, I thought after Hazeltine I'm like you know what he's going to be a captain in five years, and then you're here you you turn up at, at Whistling Straits you're on the side you win in Abu Dhabi last year. What are we on? Are we on 3.0, 4.0? <laughs> um. Do you know what? I don't know, but I, I do believe in reinventing yourself. You know, you've always got to find new goals and, uh, you know, come at things from a different angle. Um, you know, if that's 3.0, 4.0, I don't know. But, um, 
you know, you've got, I think the secret to longevity is keeping things fresh and interesting. You know, it's easy to become stale and, you know, a little bit jaded. And if you can, uh, if you can, you know, keep changing, changing goals and working on different things, but with the same objective, then, you know, that's, that's the secret to longevity and staying kind of energized and in love with the game or any sport, I suppose. You know, Lee, when you won the Ned Bank, I was I was in studio doing morning drive. We were following the coverage, and we're, we're sitting there in the studio waiting for the tournament to end. And, and clearly, it was an emotional time. Helen was on the bag. Uh, it, it, you know, you, it had been a little while since you had won. Was, I, I want you to take me back emotionally to what that meant. Did it, did it, did it feel as much like a coronation as it did to a rebirth? What, what was that particular win like for you in terms of what it what it told you about yourself i think it was uh pr- proof really and uh y- yeah proof obviously there was relief there but proof that you know i still got it to contend at that level and then you don't know when your last win is going to be i don't care what you know what which player you are you know you go back through history there's guys that have won say major championships and then it's the last time they've won you know you never know when when it'll end. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, um, it was good to come down the stretch and hit the shots when I needed to, because I've been playing fairly well most of that year and just not finishing it off. And that's a mental thing. You know, that's a, you know, staying calm, you know, under that situation and, uh, and really believing in yourself that gets you over the line. Did you, did you think when you were 30 or 35, uh, forget how highly competitive you remain, that, that you would still be playing competitive golf as you approach 49? I think you hope to. You know, you hope to stay phys- physically fit enough. Um, but I guess when, you, when you're when you a 35-year-old, they'll say 30, 37 when I get to, got to the world number one, you look at the years ahead and, that, and you would probably look towards 49. You know, you're starting to gear up for the, for the Champions Tour. So, you know, staying out here on the main tour, just really keeping your eye in and staying competitive. Um, and and looking forward to, you know, turning 50. Whereas, you know, I'm sort of, I, w- I was delighted with last week's first event of the year. You know, it was the first four-round tournament I'd played since since the Ryder Cup. Um, so I was pretty jaded. I'd had COVID just before Christmas as well, which, you know, because I'm asthmatic, it had hit me really hard. And, you know, I hadn't been really able to do any physical work and still not for a few more weeks. Uh, no work on my golf swing because... You know, winters are pretty cold in England and obviously, you know, we haven't got the, the greens to, you know, and, and short game facilities to fine tune your game on. So there was a lot of things going against me last week and it was good to, I got off to a slow start as well. I was three over after six in the first round and, um, you know, it was good to kind of stick in there and plug away and get, see my game improve as the week went on. You know, you've had you've had your son on the bag. Uh, Helen has carried for you. She, you know, obviously Bay Hill players that two week stretch where you where you push Bryson. Uh, same thing with Justin Thomas the following week. Uh, th- th- is what is Helen? Is she a life coach? Is she a psychiatrist? Um, she's far more than a caddy. Yeah, best friend and uh, a shot of reality whenever I need it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'll start moaning and she'll go, did you die? You know, like finger <laughs> dying over. And, uh, you know, that's what you need every now and again. We all need a dose of reality every now and again. 
Does she, uh, does she go to the sugar cube or the whip? And I use that horse racing analogy because you're in thoroughbred horse racing. Do you, do you respond to the whip or the sugar cube? Uh, a little bit of both, I think. <laughs> I'm definitely, a, I'm definitely a, a, a horse that likes uh, good going. I don't like it sloppy and, uh, and you know, I don't like I don't like the cold and wet days so much anymore. I like it sunny. I'm a fair weather golfer. I've definitely turned into one of those. <laughs> the um, you know you're in Dubai right now. You just came from Abu Dhabi. Um, you know the, the the DP World Tour, formerly the European Tour, uh, I thought did a brilliant job cultivating this part of the world uh, as far as identifying markets. Uh, you guys have been able to attract you know obviously fabulous fields for a long long time. <laughs> the DP World Tour. What what do you think it's going to be in ten years? I honestly don't know. I think golf's changing so rapidly at the moment that uh, you know nobody can really look that far into to the future. I don't know where it'll be in the next two three years. Um, you know, it's all there's rumors flying around and everything's changing so quickly. You know, I've got one eye on the DP World. I'm also a member of the PGA Tour. The seniors tours looming, so you know, it's there's a lot of juggling and spinning plates at the moment. But uh, you know, they. Keith Pelley does a good job. He did an incredible job through uh, the COVID situation. Um, DP World are obviously a huge company. They put a lot of money in. So um, it's an exciting time for, for uh, the DP World Tour. And uh, um, it'll be fun to see what does happen over the next few years. You know, Lee, I, I, I thought that the alliance between the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour was smart. Um, I, I think it would be even smarter to continue to try to find events to co-sanction, uh, to give opportunities to, to players who, who are primarily anchored uh, in Europe, the chance to, to, to gain some points and, and potentially some status on the PGA Tour. I also think it protects uh, the DP World Tour. Do you think they should co-sanction more events going forward? They've got the Scottish this year. I'd like the players to be co-sanctioned myself, and I think the same of the, the BMW PGA. What do you think about that? Well, I don't like the idea that we've been getting rid of World Golf Championships for starters because that's taking away that aspect of it. They were they were co-sanctioned. You know, you get yeah a mix of players from all over the world. Um, I think at the end of the day, everybody just likes to see the best players playing against each other as often as possible. I think that's the that's why I watch sport. You know, I I like watching any sport really as long as it's played at the highest level and. To watch golf played at the highest level, you've got to have the best players playing against each other as, as, as much as as much as you can. I uh, I talked to Jason Kokrak, had him on the show last week, and he, you know, he he gets paid by the Saudi golf, and and you know he was pretty candid about about you know if that opportunity presents itself. Um, I, I think the threat is is more than just you know an existential threat. I think it's very real. Um, do you see this thing coming to fruition in the next year? Yeah, I've played in Saudi the last three years and I'm playing again this year. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's competition um, for the PGA Tour and the European Tour. And generally, I think competition's a good thing. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's a job for, for everybody playing out here. You know, golf is my job. You know, I, I, generally as a sportsman, you don't have a long career, although I've kind of proven it. Uh, a little bit the other way, um, but you know, in in ten fifteen years time, you've forgotten, and then somebody else comes along. So, 
you know, sometimes you've got to be selfish and, uh, and take care of yourself. With that being said, I mean, look, this is significantly a, 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 a tremendous amount of money. Um, I, I mean, is it plausible that if, if they present you with something that is astronomical, uh, that you would consider making the jump? Yeah, I said at the PGA Championship last year, you know, and I did a I did a press. I don't know if you heard it, but, you know, my age, um, you know, where I am in my career, you know, I have to I have to look at all options. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that that there is a figure. Obviously, everybody's got a figure. I was amused last week because you always have this back and forth with John Huggin who I call Ebenezer Scrooge. And I love John. But gosh, he always wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, like every day. Um, and it was funny John, about... John, John's only happy when he's miserable. <laughs> That's what I say to him. Um, do you like the written word? Do you like reading what people write about the game of golf? Yes, I do. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, with the internet, um, I think it's getting lost a little bit, you know, um, you know, I have friends in the media, uh, good writers that are just getting, um, let, let go by, you know, newspapers and magazines, um, because it's so easy to just make, make a score story off a transcript nowadays, or, you know, take little bits out of other people's stories. So, you know, I think, uh, I think it's that's the downside of the internet that you know I do like to I do like to see a press conference when all the guys are sat in there and they all come out of it with their own kind of they've asked all, all asked their own questions and all you know made their own they write the story how they want to write it you know sometimes it gets a bit dull seeing the same old thing in in type taking off a taking off a transcript you know, one of the things, one of the reasons, my theory anyway, as to why people are so fond of you here in the States uh, is that there seems to be just a real comfort with who you are and, and you're apolitical. You just you, you have an opinion, you share it, you're not bothered uh, by by response. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. And I'm not trying to blanket uh, every American golfer. I think they're 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 more careful with their words, and I think the European Tour and specifically the European Ryder Cup team, a lot of Americans like you guys a lot, and they find it hard to root against you. Do you feel that? Do you feel the the affection that that American golf fans have for the lot of you? Yeah, I've always had a you know had a you know good good relationship with American golf fans, a good deal. You know, when I was contending at, at Bay Hill against Bryson and. And at the Players' Championship this year, I felt like, you know, people were cheering me on as much as they were cheering Bryson on or, you know, whoever may, may be playing at that time. I think we do live in an age where um, the, the the golfers and sportsmen in general are very, are very guarded. Um, you know, they, they, you know, they, you watch people doing media interviews and stuff like that. They would like to say something, but... You know, they also have big sponsors backing them and a, and a logo somewhere on them, and they have to take that into consideration. You can see them tampering down what they actually think and uh, and giving the politically correct answer, which whatever that may be at that particular time, that seems to change with the win nowadays. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, the you know the, the guys aren't. Uh, I don't want to say encouraged, but it's not as easy for not as easy for guys to give the honest answer anymore it's you know you you get jumped on too quickly and everybody i always find that everybody nowadays is so easily offended 
Mm. Um, you know, like you said, it it, it, it it is just an opinion. Everybody's a, has one. Everybody's allowed one. Um, but you know, sometimes it seems like, you know, if that's slightly, if that's slightly against the grain, then you really do get, you get, you get jumped on for it. You know, I, I, Look, when you get to major championships, you alluded to the PGA Championship. You know, you sit there and I, I look as a media member at, at you know, the, the lineup of interviews. And, and, and I think, by and large, they're all interesting. But to me, it depends on how much you want to give. Like, for instance, Dustin Johnson, I think, is brilliant because every answer is a non-starter. Like, it never really prompts a follow-up. And that's fine. And I think that he does it brilliantly in that way. Um, and then there's Phil Mickelson, who, who wants to impress upon you that, you know, he's got a, a depth of knowledge on every subject, whether it's derivatives or, or horse racing or, or who's the, the, you know, the long snapper for, for the Los Angeles Chargers. Have you changed your approach to, to the way that you answer questions in a media session in a long form? Uh, I, 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 I'm very guarded now when I give an answer, you know, I try and, uh, I try and, uh, it's, it's almost negative. I try and, um, visualize how it could be interpreted and how it could be interpreted in the wrong way. I think that's just come with experience, but all I've ever tried to do in, you know, presses is just try and be honest, give it, give the honest answer, try not to offend people, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, my parents always brought me up just to, they said, you can, you'll never go wrong being honest, you know, tell the truth. And, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's, you know, if that's what you believe in, then you've got to say it. You know, I, I, um, I, I love talking to other athletes and other sports about golf because a lot of them are passionate about it. And I, I was talking to Steph Curry a couple of years ago and I asked him, what do you think is one of the biggest challenges for a, a professional golfer? He said, that they have to talk to the media after essentially the first quarter of a game, halftime of a game, and then you have to go home and sleep on it. And, and the media is trying to project to like the next day and the next day. And what would this mean? And it's like, wait a second, I got two rounds to go. Uh, has that been challenging for you through the course of your career to have media that wants to create a narrative and to essentially write the story before it's written? Yeah, obviously you you have to think before you give your answers. It would be nice to have a have a cooling down period, but that's not what the media want. They want you, uh, they want you hot. <laughs> you know, they want they want they want that uh, they want that that emotion. They want that anger almost. You know, like we said earlier, or like you asked me about, a lot of the guys just stand there and almost give one word answers. You know, it's very bland and boring. They want that. A uh, little bit of spice to write their their stories about. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, with you learn to deal with it with age. But uh, yeah, it, it can be tricky um, if you don't care and don't listen to other people's opinions. It becomes a lot easier. You know, you should really uh, you should just really judge your own performances on, you know. What, what, whether you, whether you, you can look in the mirror and say, I tried 110%. Say it's a Thursday. I tried 110% today. Some days it's going to go well. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's going to go, going to go wrong for you. You know, there's nothing you can do. The only thing you can control is, uh, that maximum effort really. And, the, and, and as long as you've done the preparation after that, once the ball's in the air, you've got no control over it. You know, one of the things about Tiger's career that I think has been underrated, and I actually think most of his career is underrated, um, is, 
he's always had a responsibility. There's a referendum for him every round. So the, the, there's a sense of responsibility that he's going to talk to the media, whether it's, you know, 65 or, or 74. Um, and, and for you, you're a headliner. You turn up. You probably have a pre-tournament uh, media responsibility. But, but by and large, it's going to be predicated on how you play day to day. With him, it doesn't matter. And yet he's done that day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out. And his performance doesn't slip. Lee, and your, your career, you're just a shade older than him. I think it's flat remarkable that he has had the, the obligations that he's had and it never affects performance. Yeah, he certainly, he certainly uh, had a lot to deal with and I think de dealt with it really well. Um, I think he, to, I think he honestly doesn't care what you or I think and I think that's a, a, a huge advantage. Uh, do you think, and, and again, this is all pure speculation, uh, and you would say, well, what is he motivated by? I think he can find motivation anywhere. Do you expect him to play competitive golf at some point this year? I expect him to try his hardest to do that. Um, you know, I would never, I would never put anything past him because, you know, he's proved everybody wrong on a few occasions. Um, you know, when you consider what he's dealt with or what he's gone through, during his career, you know, when you look back at it now, during them times to still play great golf is with, with golf being such a mental game is, uh, is phenomenal really. Um, so yeah, I, I would never put anything past him. You know, watching him with his son, the thing that I found most endearing was that his son, nobody tries to replicate Tiger's swing, but his son has the fingerprints uh, of Tiger's mm. golf swing. D does your son have mannerisms that are commensurate with yours? Do, do you look at him and yeah. go, oh my God, it's spooky. He's like me. Yeah, kids are great at imitating. Yeah, Sam's has the same faults I have. Um, he, you know, when I look at his swing, I think, you know, he, he maybe sw swings it better than me, you know, but uh, um, the, the, the only thing that really bothers me about um, Tiger and, and Sam when I'm watching them is that everybody judges, you know, everybody puts, uh, sorry, sorry, Charlie and Tiger. Yeah. The only thing that really bothers me is is that everybody compares Charlie to Tiger. You know, it'd be nice for for Charlie to be able to go out there and no be question. Charlie and just be the best, just be the best Charlie Woods that he can be. And you know, it's unfair to 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 compare anybody against the best player there's ever been, Tiger. In my opinion, um, a lot of people will say Jack, but you know, it's it's Tiger in my opinion because I've grown up in that generation. So, you know, to compare his son to him, um, I, I, I really hope he has the same mental fortitude as Tiger and can block everything out and not listen to other people and, and you know, you, just, just be able to shut that off, just be himself. No, it's a, it's a very good point. If you look historically, look, there are a lot of great families in golf. Um, but but you talk to the fathers and and as much as there there, there can be uh, opportunity uh, that, you know, whether it be a Drew Love or whether it be a Bill Haas or whatever, whomever it may be, there is that burden that exists. You know, for you as a father of a kid who, who, who likes the game of golf, I, I mean, what can you possibly do to allow him to be himself? Just keep telling him that. You yeah. know, don't try and live up to anybody else's uh levels or you know expectations just just be the best person you and best golfer you can be try your hardest and you know work as hard as possible 
I want to ask you, you know, yeah, can there's two things going to happen. It's either going to go well and you'll be successful, or it'll go badly and you won't. So, are you are, are, a coin. are you, you know, I thought, I look, I, I think, um, you know, you have to do this, and you mentioned selfish, it's a self, it's a selfish endeavor, uh, and you have to be selfish at times, but you do get to an age. Well, you do feel like, and I, I'm going to ask you if you feel this, like you're playing for more than yourself. You, you know, you're, your family's at, at, a, at a point in their lives where they have context of what their father has done and what he's still capable of doing. Does that help motivate you? Uh, you are right. It's a very selfish game, probably, probably one of the most selfish. And, uh, um, yeah, I think it goes back to changing goals and having reasons to play. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, playing for somebody else is added pressure. So, you know, I've always just tried to to, to play for myself. When I go home, I'm I'm, I'm just dad or leave, leave the dad or, well, I get called all sorts of things at home. Not necessarily dad anymore <laughs> uh, or, leave, uh, or, or leave the husband. So, you know, when I walk off a golf course now, that's what I've been really good at doing in recent years. When I walk off the golf course, that's kind of the end of golf for me. I don't really take it home too much anymore are you in that phase of your life where you're not where you're cramping your kids style uh, i'm i'm kind of moving out of it my daughters are 22 and soon to be 20 and from about 14 to 19 there's nothing that i could have done right i i was as clunky uh and as awkward a dad and i didn't think that i was are you in the middle of that phase yes i'd say regularly i get that look and the <laughs> <laughs> Dad, you're so not cool. Speech. Um, but then I try and play on it. Then I try and play on it and be be even less cool. Let me ask you about uh, the the future of this Ryder Cup on the European side. The, the chatter over the last week or so, just because Hedrick Sense uh, or pardon me, Padraig Harrington was was you know glowing about saying that Luke Donald will be a great captain. Immediately, people just are projecting him to Italy. When would you like to be the Ryder Cup captain? Because you're going to be. I'd like to be the Ryder Cup captain when I can enjoy it and when I can give it 100% and not feel like it's getting in the way of my playing career. Okay. Um, there'll be, there'll, I don't know when that time is, but I'm pretty sure that time will come at some stage. Um, I would like to be of an age where, you know, I can, I still got a little bit in common with the, with the guys that are playing, but uh I walk up and down a range now, and and oh, I played with a kid last week in uh, in Abu Dhabi called Josh Hill, and uh, he was knocking it seventy yards past myself and Bert Wiesberger, and I asked him how old he was, and he was seventeen. Now I've not got a lot in common with a seventeen-year-old. You know, I have two kids older than him, so uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a job I'd love to do at some stage, but uh, it's got to mean everything to do it. And if I was doing it right now, I, I would feel. I think it's a full-time job, and I would feel like I couldn't commit 100% to it. The, um, the, the belief that certain guys are more cut out uh, to captain at home, in your case, Europe, or, or on the road in America, because people are very familiar with you. And I think there are a lot of guys who are lined up to be the captain. Luke, yourself, Poulter, potentially McDowell, guys like that. You guys have, have, have made, you know, you've been very productive coming over here. You're in, people are in, you've endeared yourself to the American fans. I, I, I think that you make a lot of sense at Bethpage. Is that too soon? 
I don't know. I don't know what the next two years holds uh, or, or four years holds. So, um, you know, that's fortunate. That's not a decision that needs making for another two years. So, uh, <laughs> um, like, like we said earlier, everything's changing so quickly in golf. So, it's just, just an impossible question to answer. But, I'll, you know, I'll say one thing, you know, there's, We've got a lot of candidates and not many years, so uh, it's a bit like getting a a square peg in a round hole, isn't it? Um, you know, by the time um, you know you've mentioned Luke, myself, Henrik, Holtz, then you start to look at guys like Sergio. Yeah, you can't see Sergio not not being captain, and then you you know that's what that could be twelve years down the line. Then that's you're talking about guys like Rory. Yeah. So, uh, it comes around quick. You know, I, I remember playing in 97 like it was yesterday and uh, 11, 11 Ryder Cups and 24 years later or five years later, you know, here we are talking about captaincy. So um, somebody's going to miss out. That's, that's, that's the, you know, the problem. You know, it's it, you mentioning that I, I hadn't even started thinking about even Sergio and you could add Justin Rose. Justin has had some massive moments. I thought he was brilliant. Uh, not only did he have the moment at Medina, I thought he was great at Glen Eagles. I mean, I, you guys are lined up like G5s on a tarmac. I mean, I, I, you're right. I mean, it, it is, there's like six or seven of you guys that you could, you could just slide right in there over the next 15 years. I, 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 I do, if, if you had a guess for Italy, who do you think it'll be on the European side? I'd say uh, Luke's probably favorite right now. But, okay. Uh, and I agree. I think he'd make a good captain. He's done the vice captaincy. I did the vice captaincy with him in uh, France four four years ago, or however long it was. Um, and um, he's very very knowledgeable. Um, he's a good thinker. He thinks hard, and and you know gets everything clear before he says anything. Yeah, he's uh, he's good in the team room. You know, he he's got the passion when he needs it. He's calculated. I want to ask you, with the first major, obviously always being Augusta National, that the first time you, you went, um, what struck you about the place? And, and what's the most important thing that you learned over the course of the years about how to play the golf course? So I turned up to Augusta very, very early. Um, I'd played in uh, Argentina um, two weeks before. Uh, and then flown up there, and that was the first time I'd ever been to the United States. Uh, I flew up to Atlanta, and I went to Chateauland to do some practice, and then I just couldn't wait any longer. It got to, like, the Thursday or the Friday before the tournament. I thought, I've got to go to Augusta and, uh, and, you know, see what it's all about, and I turned up there, uh, and the old pro there, uh, Bob, um, kind Bob of Clucky, me. yeah. I, yeah, and, sh- and showed me around. Um, and it was just how green the grass was and how white the buildings were. I think that's probably the first thing I noticed uh, and how tidy everything was. And then I went around the other side and saw the golf course and, uh, you know, just the undulations of it and the and the the massiveness of the piece of land, you know, no crowds on it. One going down the hill, nine coming there and 18 just there, 10 in the corner and, and then the huge piece of land between 18 and nine running down to the eighth fairway and the seventh green just a, a huge expanse of, of grounds um it's like walking into a cathedral it, you know i the first time i went there i went with my dad it was 1991 and what what struck me was the proximity 
of of certain holes to each other. And and, and then it made complete sense as to, you know, when you hear the roars and and how close mm. 13 green obviously is to 14 T, but 15 green is just on the other side and 16 T is is tucked back behind essentially that 14th tee I, just down in that little quarter right there um I, I was blown away and i in in that particular year uh watson made eagle on 13 and 15 and whether you were on 13 or 15 it was like being on the same hole it mm. was it was remarkable yeah i mean uh, I, I don't think anything beats walking to the top of the hill on 15 in contention on a Sunday at the Masters, you know, a hot, sticky day, um, you know, your palms are sweating. Hopefully you're in the middle of the fairway, staring at a second shot over the lake there. Um, and, you know, hearing roars from somebody hitting close on 16 and somebody all in a birdie put up on 18, because you can hear that down the hill. Yeah. And, you know, when Phil made uh, in 2010, I was going down the 10th hole um, and... I, I think I was about five shots clear and he went eagle. Did he go eagle birdie, eagle, eagle birdie or something like that? And in the space of a hole, I went from five in front to one behind or something like that or tied. So, but I knew exactly who it was and exactly what he was doing. Um, and it's just, you know, that kind of place, that kind of golf course where, you know, it's, it gives you like a, a feeling and a sense what um what was the thing that you most enjoyed about sharing uh the, the day and a half or two days with Sam there this past year? What 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 stuck out for him and what what is stays in your mind about about sharing that with him? Just getting him to getting to see him, you know, play the golf course and you know, he's obviously watched it on TV and um he made two on 12 and chipped in on the last um just realize how fast the greens are and you know they weren't they weren't as quick as the tournament when we played but we hit it in a few spots and i said oh you might struggle to get that one up and down and kind of four <laughs> shots later he's tapping in um and just you know l appreciate the place and the history to it we were we were looking at jimmy dunn and uh ed ed hurley um yeah showed us around the place we stayed in the butler cabin um got to see you know all around the clubhouse and in the in the wine cellar downstairs. Yep. Just see how it all just see how it all works. You know, it's it it was like going around a museum. It's it really is an incredible place. You know, I the first time I played there, I stayed in the Butler cabin. I stayed in the Arkansas room, and I I couldn't sleep, and I woke up at like three o'clock in the morning. And I just started watching the highlights, which is yeah. like watching golf porn. I mean, you're you're just watching yeah. you know hours of highlights. Um, uh, to share that with your son, and by the way, when you went down to the wine cellar, did you see Eisenhower's crate that they have tucked away in the corner? Yeah, yeah. So all that, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a very special place. It's um, it, and it was lovely to share it with Sam. I must admit, it was a great couple of days. I was a little tired playing because I'd just come off two good weeks, um, but you know, just to see him enjoy it was. Uh, you know, what, what a dad wants. No question. Um, if you and I reconvene around the holidays at the end of this year, um, and I say to you, it was a great year for you because what would the answer be? Um, still healthy, still enjoying competing, um, uh, you know, still able to work as much as, 
I know I need to work to um, compete with with the younger guys out here. So uh, yeah, that's it really. It's not very results driven anymore because I, I know I'm still good enough. Um, you know, if it's all there on the right week, I know I can contend. So it's just getting myself into a place where that happens, giving myself the best chance. All right, let me get you out of here with this. Five quick questions. Uh, what's the most underrated city in the world? I don't know if it's underrated because everybody loves the place, but, you know, Sid- Sydney mm. in Australia. But I don't think that's underrated because when, when everybody talks about cities, everybody wants to live in Sydney. It's just such a long way away and such a desperate time change. Uh you know what? I don't know. I've been to so many great cities and I love them all. They all have their own little bit. I love New York. Um, Chicago uh, took me by surprise how good Chicago was. Yeah. Great town. I, I don't know that I, I, I could not do a winner in Chicago. I went to a Bears Packers game in 2016 with my wife and girls and it was too below at kickoff. <laughs> it's just, I mean, that's inhumane. All right, your your favorite what who is your favorite playing companion on the on on the global stage in terms of pace of play, conversation, just utterly delightful. If you had to play with somebody seven days in a row, who would be who would it be? God, you're asking me all the tough ones. You didn't give me a heads up or nothing on this. <laughs> uh, anybody that plays quickly. You know, I have pretty good conversation with uh, with most people. Um, somebody around my age. Okay. <laughs> I know somebody uh, you like playing with because you commented on it years ago. You 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 played with Bill Haas. It might have been in Charlotte. I'm not sure. But you're like, you know what? I, I could play with him every day. Plays quickly, delightful yeah, I guy. Playing. I like playing with Charlie Offman. I like playing with Matt Jones. Matt Jones is He's um, he it's it's kind of it's spooky how quick he is. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 always rattling the club, putting it back in the bag, and his balls in the air, <laughs> um, or rustling something. Um, the guys that get on with it are great. Yeah. All right. What is what is Helen's biggest pet peeve? With me. Just in general, it could be with you. You might be your biggest pet peeve. She she said, "I have too many clothes." Um, you know, I'll go away for a couple of weeks. Like I've come here when I go back, she'll have given something away. I know it. The American sports venue that you haven't been to that you need to get to. Uh, probably the 49ers new stadium. Okay. Have you been yeah. to Fenway park? Have you been to Yankee state? You've been to Yankee stadium, right? I've been to Yankee stadium. I've, I've been to the garden. I've sat courtside at the garden and watched the Knicks. Um, yeah, I guess Fenway Park. You know, they talk about that, don't they, a lot. Um, I would love to go to the to the Breeders' Cup uh, at Del Mar. Ah, that's a good one. Or maybe, uh, yeah, or maybe Kentucky Derby would be uh, a, a close second to that. You have not been to the Derby? No. Oh, I've only been to one racetrack in, uh, in the U.S., and that's uh, Gulfstream. Which is a good park. Um, mm. you, you of all people is you've got now it's tricky because it's the beginning of May. Uh, you've been loyal to the Wells mm. Fargo. You've, you've, you've been good to Johnny Harris. Now it's not in Charlotte this year, but you of all people need to get to the Derby. All right. Last thing, your favorite cuss word or phrase on the golf course. 
can't say it. Yeah, it. you can. Uh, no, I really can't. <laughs> it's the <laughs> ultimate bad one. <laughs> so see you next Tuesday. Oh, okay. I got you. <laughs> I call myself that. I don't call anybody else it. <laughs> and I always do it quietly under my breath. Very nice. Hey, listen, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, stay well. Look forward to seeing you down the road. Cheers. Thank you. Well, we appreciate Lee Westwood's time today, and I'm very thankful that he didn't share that word or phrase that he utters under his breath. Good for everybody, starting with him. Well, most importantly, uh, I expect him to have another really good year, uh, but most importantly beyond that, his voice. I love when he goes into a media center, gives honest thoughts, honest uh, opinions, and if you want a really good follow on Twitter, follow him, at Lee Westwood. And thank you for listening to this Five Clubs conversation. Next week, how about Webb Simpson in studio, our first in-studio guest. Also, Trey Wingo, who is uh, part of PGA Tour Live's coverage. And why not have a little football chatter with the guy who covered the NFL on ESPN for years and years and years. Have a great day. We'll see you next week on the Five Clubs conversation. Five Clubs conversation.